0: You know what that was? Short song.
1: Short song. Did you guys hear that? There was some major... Yeah. Thunder. Well, you, you probably heard it too. I heard it, it in
2: real life and on the thing.
1: Yeah. I was saying how we... I've never really... I don't recall having had a storm during a podcast.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping this new mic is good at what it says it's good at, because my neighbor is mowing and it's starting to storm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, distinguished member
2: of the most excellent order of the Bill and Ted empire. I'm co-host Jeremy Ruggles, purchaser of notebooks that I will pile into my room and then purchase more notebooks and not fill any of them in with things and then I'll think I need a notebook and I go and I purchase another notebook
1: it's a vicious
2: cycle yes that's how they get you
1: oh i'm sorry jeremy i i know your pain i am co-host peter cook conductor of the marrakesh express
0: oh relevant the conductor of the marrakesh express wow what an honor it is
1: the happy to be here i think it's the right Night for oh, I'm sorry. I think it's the right day for me to be here.
2: (laughs) Day or night,
1: (laughs) whenever you're listening, dear listener.
2: That's true, gentlemen. Today, I've brought to you. Just get ready for this dissonance in your brain. A single man who is both part of the British invasion, but also part of the California sunshine hippie music.
1: This person must be able to split themselves in two.
2: No, he just maintained a single entity of humanness. And that man is Graham Nash. Graham Nash. I'm going to go ahead and admit
0: something to you guys right now. Today is the first day that I learned that Graham Nash was in the Hollies. I had no idea.
2: <laughs> you, want my, you want my embarrassing admission? <laughs> Related to the Hollies? Bring it. For a long time, I thought that the Hollies were like some early band of Buddy Hollies that they just called themselves the Hollies.
0: (laughs) They did like posthumously do a collaboration with Buddy Holly, though. Did you see that? I did. Yeah. (laughs) To make it even more confusing for you.
1: Well, what's also the Hollies are confusing because. A lot of their biggest hits don't really sound anything alike. You've got Bus Stop and Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress and The Air That I Breathe. (laughs) Those don't sound like the same band at all.
0: Well, And they're the ones that did uh, He's Not
2: Heavy, He's My Brother, right? True. Yeah, huge range of material. Just like Graham Nash, got some huge range. And I'm going to show you his first album, Songs for Beginners. And I'm going to start with my favorite song from the album, Military Madness. Classic.
1: Which, which so happens to be the very first song on the album,
2: correct? True. Side A, track one.
1: And this is 1971 we're going back to here. What a wonderful opening song.
2: Yeah, I love that squawking guitar. I don't know how to describe what it's doing, but it's like,
3: wah, wah, wah.
2: Love that line. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's the kind of opening track that just just draws you in and hooks you right away. The first time I heard this record was when Jeremy played it for me. I feel like there's been a lot of Jeremy record picks where it's something that I recommended to him. So. It's the other way around, kind of. And yeah, the first time I heard this record, I was like, why have I not checked out the Graham Nash solo stuff?
2: This rules. You want another embarrassing admission? Bring it. That song, Military Madness, I thought was by an indie rock band called Woods about 10 years ago because they put out an album with the cover of that song on it. And they don't do covers. And it didn't say anywhere on it about it being a cover. And I just thought it was a song by the indie rock band Woods until a few years later. I, I
1: remember that band. That's, yeah, like 10 years ago. Yeah.
2: And I stumbled on this album, though, in my strange habit of seeking out and listening to surround sound albums. This is an album that got the surround sound treatment at some point. And as soon as the song Military Madness came on, I was like,
1: what? (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, the first time that I've heard this album or really any Graham Nash solo, which is strange. I'm familiar with all of the other high profile Crosby stills. Nash and Young records that came out following Deja Vu. You those being Neil Young's After the Gold Rush, David Crosby's If I Could Only Remember My Name, and Stephen Stills self-titled. And for some reason, never heard this one before. Don't know why. I'm sorry, Graham.
0: (laughs) At some point early on in record collecting, I think I just, like, solidified the impression that I had that Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young was just inferior to Neil Young solo stuff. And therefore I didn't need to check out any of the solo projects. And for some reason, I just never moved past that until now. Here we are. At least one (laughs) of those records is really, really good. And we're going to keep talking about that one by Graham Nash.
1: (laughs) i thought yours i was like after the gold rush is a good one too but that's neil young yeah. you were you were sold on neil young obviously i already know
0: about all that i yeah. will say i listened to a little bit of that david crosby record today and that one sounds good but i'm still unconvinced about steven stills
1: yeah I'm, I'm still working on both stills and crosby as far as their solo stuff goes but you know what i think i'm sold on nash now oh,
2: for sure i think after researching this stills and crosby don't do themselves any favors by being likable people to also like their music
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah that's a big part of it for sure but let's find out who graham nash is
2: graham nash was born in 1942 in blackpool england his mother was from salford england got evacuated because of world war II. But then they returned a few years later, and Graham Nash actually grew up mostly in Salford, England. At age six, he started singing, and around age eight, he met a friend, Alan Clark, who they would sing in church together, harmonize, they hung out, they were good buds, made a little band in high school. And uh, that little band was called the Hollies, which ended up becoming a very big band. In fact, they were quite popular in the UK, had a few songs that made it over into the US. I had not listened to a lot of Hollies before this, and as you said, they have a wide variety of output, but the output early on when Graham Nash was in the band Kind of sounded like a British Beach Boys to me. That's how I could like best describe it. And there's a lot of three part vocal harmonies, but it's kind of more dour and less sunny than the Beach Boys, but still like similar to early Beach Boys with just that straight ahead beat, good, uh, catchy pop melodies going on.
0: Yeah, kind of that like jangly guitar driven. British Invasion, Garage Rock sound going on.
2: Yeah. And they were named the Hollies not because Buddy Holly was in the band, but because they all really liked Buddy Holly. (laughs) Which, when I was reading an interview with Graham and he's describing that, and one thing I found interesting is that he said him and his friends and a lot of other people he knew liked Buddy Holly because he was very relatable. And not like Elvis, where he's like a superstar or like, it kind of, it gave me that same vibe of why people say punk music inspired them to start making music where he's like, that person looks like me and that seems like something I could do and it inspired him to do it. I mean,
0: I've heard similar takes from like the Ramones where that was a whole part of the aesthetic for some of like the early, you know, groundbreakers of punk rock was that they're just trying to take it back to that early Buddy Holly esque rock and roll vibe of just like simple songs, short, kind of a everyman style of
2: music. Almost, it makes sense. Yeah, and yeah, so they rode that out, got famous, started playing big shows in London, started trying to break into America. And that's where they got him with the marijuana. The hippies got him. They got him. (laughs) Yeah. In an interview, Graham Nash described how he started smoking pot after coming to America. And he started no longer relating with his fellow Holly's bandmates who were you know, drinking folks, and they wanted to make, like, simple pop songs. Graham Nash was wanting to make more complex music, and he wanted to put some type of, like, message to his music. So there's, like, one song that seems to be the crux of the Hollies splitting, King Midas in Reverse, where he wrote this more complicated song The fans of the Hollies didn't really like it. The band members were like, this song's weird. Why did you make us do this? And Graham Nash was like, screw you guys. I'm moving to California.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And this is
2: probably like mid 60s, 1966 or so. I think 67, if I remember, 67 or 68. Yeah, I think he
0: officially quit in 68 if I remember right but like there was definitely that period before it where he was like meeting some American musicians that seemed to be more in line with his his new mission and his new mode of music making and was kind of like already trying to figure out how to make a shift into something that was more artistically
2: fulfilling yeah maybe a little David Crosby influencing him Mm Hmm. maybe a little Stephen Stills influencing him Maybe a little bit. Yeah. So if you didn't know, David Crosby was in the Birds. Stephen Stills was in a a little band called Buffalo Springfield. And they're both, you know, left those bands. They're in LA. And they're like, Graham, dude, you got to come chill with us, bro. (laughs) We got the.
1: As was the language at the time.
2: (laughs) We got the dankest bud down here in Laurel Canyon, bro. Wow, it's like I was there. You really (laughs) painted the picture and transported us. (laughs) Yeah, so Nash goes there. He becomes a hippie. He starts getting politically active. He's speaking out against the war in Vietnam. He ends up dating Joni Mitchell for a while. And after their breakup, he made this album. This is his
1: uh, I broke up with Joni Mitchell statement.
2: I guess so. Though, I have to say, one thing I do like about this album, I mean, it doesn't feel like a breakup album in that angsty sort of way a lot of breakup albums are. It feels like more emotionally mature to me. You know, the messages are like, yeah, this sucks right now, but we'll have better days ahead. And like, yeah, she just wants to be free and explore like who she is as a person. So I kind of like the, what he did with a breakup album, I guess.
1: Yeah. Which is pretty mature for, he was probably what, late twenties, 28, 29 at this
2: point. Yeah. He would have been, yeah, like late twenties, mid to late. Well, I think it's uh
0: it's an interesting context for this record. Like we were talking about, you know, he's already a notable, famous musician, successful but he he's making these shifts and kind of like starting over in a lot of ways, you know, he's becoming politically active and socially conscious for maybe really the first time. So the the album, like in some ways plays like a breakup record, but it almost sounds like, like an adult coming of age record in some ways, you know, like completely shifting gears and developing a whole new set of consciousness. So I think, yeah, it's a really interesting picture of what he was going through at that time
2: yeah there's i feel like there's two sides to that where like i think military madness is a great song and throughout this album most of the lyricism is not super complex it's pretty on the nose with what he's trying to get across but there's some of the socially conscious uh songs he puts together, especially the one Chicago at the end. It was in fact the biggest hit on this record.
1: And your and your least favorite song?
2: Yeah, it just felt kinda cheesy to me. You know what? That song almost to me sounds like
1: uh the stylistically for some reason it almost sounds like one of the uh angry Beatles solo songs that like John Lennon or uh, Paul McCartney would throw at each other. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought of when I heard
2: it. I thought of like like a college freshman who had like just read a political book for the first time and is like all earnestly mad about this stuff and thinks they can write a song and change the world or something and yeah.
1: Yeah, I like I, I, I liked military madness much more the first song that we listened to. I, I noticed that uh PP Arnold is a backing vocalist on that track
2: true this thing this thing's covered with some big names let's do that I want to play another song now though and then then we can go over all the huge names on this thing what do you got? I'm gonna lay better days on you side A track 2 kind of show some of the variety going on in this album
1: this is a great one right here Mm (laughs)
2: mhm
3: has moved away You must face yourself and you must say I remember better days Don't you cry cause she is gone She is only moving on Chasing mirrors through a haze
0: For me, it's really a draw between that one and Military Madness for my favorite song on this record. And that song is another interesting example of a track that was not a hit when it came out, but is now like the best remembered song from this album. It has by far the most plays on Spotify compared to any of the three singles from this record.
1: Yeah. When I went to Spotify to listen to this, I had already hearted this song. (laughs) I knew this one. I think the the algorithm had fed it to me several times. They knew. They did, and I didn't pay attention and check out the rest of it.
2: (laughs) Until now. Here we are.
1: Until. Yep, that's why we're doing this show.
2: You guys like that sick
0: piano? That piano was especially sick. Almost as if there's a notable player making those piano sounds. Who could it be? The world-famous
2: Joe Yankee.
0: (laughs) My favorite pianist. Uh, Of
2: course. Also known by his other name, Neil Young.
1: (laughs) Never heard of him.
2: Yeah, I don't, I didn't get to the bottom of why he credited as Joe Yankee. I don't know if it's one of those, you know, label things where they can't use the person's name or if he was just being a goofball. Don't know.
1: Yeah. It's his way of saying I'm Neil Young. doesn't even matter if I get attention for this.
2: True. Oh, but this thing, this thing's got names on it, boys. So many names. You guys got a favorite name you saw? (laughs)
1: Sermon Posthumous. (laughs) The bass credited as bass clarinet on better days. I don't, that that sounds like another Joe Yankee to me.
2: (laughs) That has to be, yeah. I'm not sure uh, who that is.
1: I was happy, of course, as always, to see uh, Chris Etheridge from the Flying Burrito Brothers.
2: Yeah, who's worked with Judy Collins, Nancy Sinatra, Willie Nelson.
1: He was on the Phil Oaks album that we did, Greatest Hits. Yep, yep. Yeah, we Dave Mason, I think, was playing the uh, electric guitar that we talked about on Military Madness. Yep,
2: and he is famous for his band Traffic and his solo work. Yeah, yeah, his solo
0: records are everywhere. That's definitely a guy I imagine we'll talk about at some point on this show. You always say that. Oh, yeah. We always say that. But, you know, this show will never end, and eventually we will get to all of the amazing Dollar Bin artists.
1: (laughs) I see we got a couple members of the Grateful Dead. We
2: do. We got Jerry himself. Jerry Garcia playing some pedal steel on a few songs. And bassist Phil Lesh also from the Grateful Dead and solo material.
1: Yeah. And I think, th- I believe that there's uh some crossover with uh, the players on some of those other CSNY, uh, the post deja vu albums that we were talking about. Like uh, I know that if I could only remember my name it, by David Crosby is loaded with players too.
2: Yeah. David Crosby's on this record as well. A lot of, uh, yep. Yeah. cross pollination going on there. He had John Barbata playing drums. He played with the Turtles in Jefferson Airplane.
1: I'm noticing there's no Stephen Stills.
2: No Stephen Stills, and that I'm gonna say has something to do with Rita Coolidge, who is on the album. Oh yeah, a little bit of drama. A little bit of drama. Rita did some piano and background vocals. I read something Rita had written about all the various rock stars she'd known or had some type of relationship with. And this is her take on the drama between Stephen Stills and Nash, who I kind of, I'm going to go with her take over either Nash or Stills. But essentially, Graham Nash had spotted Rita and invited her to a show of theirs, Stephen Stills stepped in and called Rita and said, oh, Graham has to cancel. And then Stephen Stills made a move on her and took her on a date, and they end up dating for a couple months. And Rita's not super digging dating Stephen Stills, it sounds like, because he's pretty dramatic, and it sounds like all of them (laughs) were pretty wild and doing lots of drugs and... Being ridiculous at this time. But she's still got her eye on Graham Nash. So then her and Graham Nash start seeing each other. And Stephen Stills does not like it. He throws a fit. Graham tries to like talk to him like an adult about it. Stephen tries to throw punches. Then he tries to overdose on pills in a hospital or in a hotel and has to be taken to a hospital. So. A bit of band drama there around Rita Coolidge.
0: <laughs> so dramatic, jeez. Yeah, I would read that uh, they had both dated her at different times, so that all makes sense. That tracks.
2: Yeah, and previous to Graham Nash dating Joni Mitchell, David Crosby had dated Joni Mitchell, though David Crosby <clears throat> gave Graham Nash uh, his blessing in you know, them pursuing a relationship. So a little bit different that that situation
1: played out a little differently than, uh, yeah. Yeah. Any, anything I know about Steven stills is, uh, intensity and hot headedness. So I'm not surprised to hear that.
2: Yeah. Very much not like how his voice sounds.
0: (laughs) Some people are just like that though. Yeah. I guess that also explains why there's more david crosby graham nash duo records than there are the full trio
2: yeah after crosby stills and nash go on hiatus well and young go on hiatus in 72 crosby and nash end up getting together and continuing to make some music and release stuff you know nash went on for many years i think he 2016 was his last album he put out but he was working with various artists along the way. yeah, he's just been he's been at it.
0: Yeah, I, I listened to a little bit of his more recent material, and it, it wasn't bad. Um, I gotta like play more of the record later on. Usually when you hear artists that have been going this long, their later material is like pretty forgettable, and it didn't impress me as that right away. so interested to dig into the late period Graham Nash later on.:
1: It's, it's funny because uh, I don't know if it's just because. I know so many Neil Young fans, but I always know when he has a new album out, it's an event every time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For for an artist getting that up there in years, it's uh, incredible that he still seems to captivate people's attention.
0: Yeah, it's pretty much just him and Paul McCartney at this point, right? (laughs) That are able to get that much attention from new releases.
1: Uh, Maybe Bob Dylan. Yeah, I
0: guess so. I guess maybe we could uh, lump Tom Waits in there too or something, but uh...
1: Yeah, there's a few of them that can still generate that interest, but yeah, by and large uh, you know, it's yeah, like I wouldn't have been able to I think Crosby's probably put out something, but sometimes because you hear these those people on the interview circuits, on podcasts and whatnot, so he made a put he, maybe he put out a memoir or an album. I don't know. <laughs> he, could, he could have been uh, promoting either in the last couple years.
2: Graham Nash put out a memoir called Wild Tales. Did he? And it's just full of all the insanity they all lived through during their rock star days. It's uh, quite tell-all, from my understanding. I only read bits and pieces to get some info for this podcast, but it, it's it's uh, pretty pretty forward. It doesn't hide any details. Interesting. I don't. Know, I've never been like
0: terribly interested in reading that style of musician memoir. I feel like that is such a big selling point for people. Like, ooh, I get to learn about all the crazy shit that my favorite rock star did, and I just, I don't know, that's never really done it for me.
1: I just, out of curiosity, looked it up, and Crosby's been cranking them out. hes He's been putting out albums almost yearly the last several years. But, anyway.
2: <laughs> he digresses.
1: <laughs> I digress.
2: Let me jump into another song. I don't have a lot of info about You know what, Graham Nash has been up to the past 20 or so years. I will say that I was inspired to come back to this album. I had thought about doing it, but then I was at my job and working with this client who inexplicably had a Crosby, Stills, and Nash reunion live DVD. Even though this person, as far as I know, doesn't even really listen to music. For some reason, they had it. So I put it on, and while watching it, I was like, man, Graham Nash is absolutely the best of these three as a performer and songwriter. So it uh, it inspired me. Bring this one.
0: I will say, the thing I learned about what Graham Nash has been up to in the last few years, I read through his whole you know Wikipedia page getting ready for this, and right at the very end under Personal Life, it says that he officially endorsed Bernie Sanders in his 2016 campaign and that he also has recently gotten really into transcendental meditation, which he was inspired to start practicing because of his friend, David Lynch.
2: Yeah, I
1: saw that. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Interesting way to, to cap off the career up to this point.
1: My, my good buddy, David Lynch, got me into this.
0: So yeah, that just it just adds even more uh respect to Graham Nash from my perspective. Agree to agree. <laughs> All right, what what song are we going to hear next, Jeremy?
2: I'm going to play the song "Man in the Mirror," which features a little Jerry Garcia on the pedal steel. If you listen for it, nice. I will listen. And a little more Neil Young on piano, I do believe.
1: I believe you're correct.
2: Talking side B track two here, boys.
3: be good in a circus but so would a clown from the way that i feel all my upside are down in the middle of nowhere i found me a tree say
1: I was starting to wonder when listening to this if I really knew Graham Nash's voice very well because the first few songs didn't really sound like anything I was familiar with through Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. But then when I heard that one, I could very much hear that that's the guy who sings Our House. Oh, yeah. like That is the the voice in the style of songwriting. I feel like he's and I don't know enough to make this call for sure, but I feel like a lot of the other songs are maybe him kind of stepping out of his comfort zone a little bit.
0: I I think it's a little bit of that. And also you really think of his voice as harmonizing with David Crosby. So when you don't hear it with that, it doesn't strike that familiarity right away. That's, that's the way it was for me anyways.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, the one voice you can easily recognize is from the group is Neil Young is always easy easy to sure. pick out because he has such a distinct voice and I know his from his solo albums. Yeah. So the other guys, I think I've mostly just heard them harmonizing together a lot. Uh, so it's cool to hear his voice more isolated.
0: Mm-hmm. The song is a great example of an element of the songwriting that I really love on this record where a lot of these songs just kind of continually build just a little bit more after each verse. Like they'll add some more instruments and every time they do it, I just love it more. Like the songs just seem to keep getting better as they go on.
2: Yeah. And I liked how it's presented as an interesting arrangement, I guess, throughout it's not, it doesn't feel like a band playing songs or they're all playing all the time. It's like arranged for the song. That's like, that's my comfort food. That's what this album is to me. It's comfort food.
0: Yeah. I mean, at its heart, it's a singer-songwriter solo record, but it has elements of the like psych music that's going on and some definite country influence going on there, too. It's, it's perfect. I think this is like an all-timer record, honestly. This is, this is some really good stuff. I've been playing this record a bunch
2: ever since I picked it up. Listen, this is a very good record. You've been getting in the habit of calling records perfect, and this one isn't perfect. I didn't
0: say it was perfect. (laughs) I said it was an (laughs) all-timer. Okay. There's some songs that are better than others, but I love this record. I'm willing to forgive the the songs that aren't as amazing as the ones that really, really are amazing.
2: Yeah, none of them feel egregious, I guess. But a couple of them, I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd skip that.
0: Which I will say in defense of the song "Chicago," some of the lyrics are a little bit cheesy, but I think it's interesting that he has a message of like a direct call for action to a real thing that was happening at that point. Because you know the song is about the Bobby Seals and the Chicago Seven trial and the protests that were happening around it. I appreciate that element because I feel like a lot of the seemingly political stuff from the hippie movement is a lot more abstract and seem to just kind of like not have any real concrete message behind it. So I at least appreciate that he was trying there, even though I think the end result is maybe not as good as what he had wanted it to be.
1: Yeah. I, it, in just having heard it, the Chicago song a couple times, I it's like, this has to be about the, uh, the trial that we talked about on the Phil Oaks episode.
2: Yeah. The part that annoys me is it's years afterwards. Like, if you're going to make yeah this is 71 and that was 68 yeah if you're going to make a direct call to action you have to do it before the action you don't write a song about it years afterwards with a direct call to action in it and it just seems (laughs) ridiculous to me
0: that is true but not a total dud just maybe mostly a dud (laughs) musically i do like that song though like aside from the message in lyrics and People can hear that song and make their own opinions by listening to the playlist that I made. Oh, yeah? Do you guys maybe mm-hmm. want to hear like some of the
2: other songs that I put on the playlist, or not? Nah? I'll bet it includes Jimmy Spheris from our very first podcast episode on this show.
0: Oh, have you noticed that I include a Jimmy Spheris track on as many possible playlists as I can reasonably fit him on?
2: Yeah, and this one feels... Pretty easily in that in that lane.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's kind of a perfect <laughs> artist to have on there. I put the song "Long Way Down" from the classic album "Isle of View" on the playlist.
1: Oh, I thought it was gonna be the the Goo Goo Dolls song "Long Way Down."
0: <laughs> Guess again. All right, some other tracks, some Jesse Colin Young at Peter's suggestion, and a track that Peter did not suggest, but it's a song that I first heard from peter playing the record uh everybody's missing the sun uh off the album grin Grin by nils lofgren who was a member of anybody know
1: neil young's band is it the the gators or whatever the the stray gators
0: (laughs) (laughs) well no he was actually in crazy horse and i believe he like he was in crazy Horse. he's still in crazy horse isn't he
1: You would know better than I.
0: (laughs) I'm pretty sure he is, or at least like recent (laughs) lineups of it. Uh, Rita Coolidge is on there. I did her version of the song Crazy Love. Put a Jonathan Edwards track on there. Another guy that I always put on playlists whenever I can that we, I'm sure we'll talk about soon. Gotta happen. You can also hear some other, I'd buy that for a dollar alum, like Richie Havens, Ian Matthews and Matthews Southern Comfort, the Chambers Brothers. The Isley Brothers, Phil Oakes, and then uh, put a track by the Hollies on there. One of the the ones featuring Graham Nash on lead vocals. And then I also put the song King Midas in reverse, but the live version that Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young did on the Four Way Street record. There's a Chris Christofferson track on there from his album from right around the same time, The Silver Tongue Devil and I, to kind of showcase some of the country crossover sound going on. Poco is on there. Another great dollar bin country rock group. Dave Mason, Joni Mitchell, Brewer and Shipley, Graham Parsons, and more. You can find all of that on Spotify. Just search I'd buy that podcast. All one word to find
2: this and all of our other playlists. Awesome. There's a story I wanted to tell during the Hollies part that I have to tell. I can't just accidentally have missed this. What's that? So Graham Nash told this story in an interview, though I'm fairly certain it's true. He said a a lady friend of his was like came to him and was like, hey, there's this kid who's always at my bus stop and he's always bugging me to try and get you to go listen to these songs he's written. He wants you guys to Perform his songs. So Graham agrees, Graham and Alan in the band agree to go, you know, meet this kid. And she's like, Yeah, just like pat him on the head, tell him he's doing a good job, you know, make him feel good. So they go there, and the kid presents to them the song Bus Stop, which ended up being one of their big hits, and showed them a few other songs that the Hollies recorded. And this is a fifteen-year-old kid, right? I think I know who this fifteen-year-old kid might be.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is it?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think I I think I might know too.
0: A fellow uh, knight of England. Is it Sir Elton John? No. Oh no!
1: no. It's it's Graham Goldman from Ten CC. Oh, yes. right. There is
0: that. But there is an Elton John association with them too. Did you
2: guys read about that? Yeah, he played in the Hollies in uh, like 69, I think. Well, yeah, and they also, um,
0: Graham Nash and the other guy, started their own publishing company for the songs they were writing for the Hollies. And one of the first artists that they also signed to the publishing company was a young Elton John under a different name.
2: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, so like in some ways they're kind of
2: partially responsible for launching Elton John's career. I was... I was wow. just mad that the 10 CC guys showed up again.
0: <laughs> I thought I remember the Hollies being on the list of songs that they had like helped write, so I'm glad that you could uh,
2: confirm that. True, true. You guys have anything else you want to say about old Graham? Not Goldman Nash. Not Graham
1: Goldman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Graham Nash. I will say that... I think Graham's second record, Wild Tales, is not quite as good as this record, but if you like this, it's still definitely worth picking up.
1: Yeah, I'm just, uh, I feel like I'm, I am i I've missed the Marrakesh Express until now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all aboard, Peter, all aboard.
1: I've really gotten into, into Neil Young as a teenager, and when I would talk to people about loving Neil Young, I would... Told, check out, you know, Crosby Stills, Nash and Young, check out Four Way Street, the live album. Great stuff. And for whatever reason, I never did. Didn't get around to even Deja Vu until only a little over a decade ago. And, you know, my wife Ellen is a big CSNY fan, and I've learned their first few albums pretty well, but still, yeah, a lot of the solo albums I have yet to explore.
2: Well, welcome into the fold, Peter.
1: Yeah, thanks for bringing this along.
2: All right. Well, I'm getting out of here.
1: What are we going to leave on?
2: We're going to leave on I Used to Be King, another great song on this album. Another song with Jerry Garcia shredding a little pedal steel. A little Phil Lesh ripping some bass. It's uh, just a good track, and I thought kind of interesting in relation to this very important to him, song the King Midas in reverse. I feel like there must be some kind of connection between those.
1: The Midas touch, just like we talked about on Midnight Star.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: true. <laughs> Bringing it all
2: back home. <laughs>
1: uh, that's Dylan. Um, yeah, this is. I did notice this is the only track that uh, David Crosby is on. He's ele- He's the electric guitar on I Used to Be King. So listen for that thank you so much for listening to another fine episode of i'd buy that for a dollar you can check us out at patreon.com slash i'd buy that podcast if you'd like to get additional content and support the show my name is peter cook
0: i'm sean hartman and i'm jeremy ruggles
3: I used to be a king And everything around me turned to gold I thought I had everything Now I'm left without a hand to hold But it's alright, I'm okay you for what it's worth I must say I love you And in my bed late at night I miss you Someone is gonna take my heart No one is gonna break my To be a king And everything around me turned to rust